Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And good evening, everybody. Happy Memorial Day. Welcome to a special early edition, Memorial Day edition of We Got Next. I'm Ricky Hampton, along with former uh, Milwaukee Bucks center, Paul Mokeski. Hope everybody's had a fantastic holiday weekend, and I hope everybody's traveling, travel home safely, and uh, get the summer rolling. And Mo, what a way to start the holiday seat, holiday uh, week in the holiday weekend and start somehow with a big game seven tonight in Boston. And I know you had your heart broken in Boston in the game seven <laughs> years ago with the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, your, your thoughts about Miami, Boston, game seven tonight. And, and Paul, what do you think the mindset is? of each team coming into this game tonight? Well, uh, the, the first thing is uh, thank you for everybody out there for their service for Memorial Day. Hope you have a great weekend. Let's think about the, the people and the families that have uh, uh, made uh, the ultimate sacrifice and sacrifices for our country. Thank you very much. And uh, to get to the game seven um, uh, scenario, First of all, uh, in my day, they played in the Boston Garden, and now they play in the Boston Garden. So, <laughs> so it's totally different, in, in my opinion. Um, uh, it's it's not the home court that they used to have, but it's still it, you're playing at home. You, you should have an advantage. The crowd is on your side, uh, but you know, in this series, both teams have beat each other on their own court. Um, uh, both teams know each other very well. They've been playing against each other for two weeks now. Um, they've seen all the film. They've made all the adjustments. And uh, really, at this point in the series, uh, as a coaching staff, uh, you're trying to get your players to relax, but to still stay on edge and have that desperation with not, without panic. So you have to have desperation. You win or go, or go home, but you don't want to be in a panic mode, and you want to be relaxed enough to be able to perform at your your highest level. And you want to make sure uh, at this point, you know, you know all their plays, you know all their calls, we know all their rotations, you know, we know how we're going to play them. And, you know, maybe, uh, you know, if I'm Boston, uh, I got to think uh, one change I want to make is how we attack their zone defense. Because, you know, last game they threw a zone at Boston, Boston, didn't know how to handle it for a while. It's mind-boggling to me that NBA teams can't handle semi-effective NBA zone defenses because that's what they are. They're just kind of put together and you guard this area and there's, you know, there's no practice involved really. So, you know, I would think that Boston's saying, okay, if they go in the zone, let's do this play or that play. Hell, I could drop a play right for them called Horns baseline with a baseline runner overload that would kill that zone. but 
you know, that's one of the desperate, that's one of the moves they're going to make. But besides that, you know, they know who they are. They know how, you know, how they got there, what they have to do to win this game. And you just got to watch your uh, minutes, watch your foul trouble, and watch, uh, keep the players positive no matter what goes on. Because you've seen in this series, right, they've been runs and after runs and, you know, one team will make turnovers and there's 16 to four run. And then another team will take turnovers and there's a 12 to two run. So you got to limit those runs, negative runs, maximize the positive runs and don't turn the ball over, make them beat you. Don't beat yourself. And that's, you know, that's kind of what you're, you know, you're keeping in your routine, your warm up, making sure everybody's ready and rested. And, and then, you go out there and let's let it fly. Well, you've seen a lot in your NBA career as a player and coach. How about the ending of this game? And, you know, Boston, they won that game, but they gave up a 10-point lead with about three minutes to go. Yeah, and it was against a sloppy Miami zone, and they turned the ball over two or three times in a row, and that's how you, that's how you give up a lead. And then – you know, they get kind of lucky in this. I mean, was it a foul? Sure, I guess. Did Horford extend it too far? That's, but look at what uh, Butler's body is when he shoots it. It's at a 45 degree. That's not a regular shot. He's, he's leaning forward so much. But at the same time, Horford's smart enough not to be that close, you know? And, you know, there's a the question about whether he traveled, but it was a fumble and a recovery. That's okay. Uh, the main thing here is they got a couple points of a second back on because the referees reviewed this and Boston challenged it because their coach had two timeouts so it could challenge this. And uh, they called a foul earlier than this right here. They called a foul with his hand on his back with three seconds left right there. That's the call they called with three seconds left. So kudos to the coach of the Celtics that got those points of seconds left it was two seven right and now it's yeah. real if it's two seven that tipping doesn't even count so that's a huge play uh wow. jimmy, but jimmy butler stepping up and knocking down three pressure threes right but the the fact is he only need to make two out of three to tie it but you know um but he stepped up and like he usually does and knocked all three there was one that was a little iffy uh, i think it was the first one and then the second ones were were solid uh but then you know, the game is never over. Please don't wear that anymore. Come on, man. You look like a goober. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, you know what? Something you just brought up, man. I hadn't heard anybody. I hadn't noticed. You're right. He's at a 45-degree angle on that shot. Yeah, and it's supposed to be a natural shooting position, you know? I mean, it, it, this isn't the angle you see it at, but if you get it at a different angle, you can see how it's – he's like – his feet are at the three-point line, and his upper body is two feet past the three-point line, or three feet, you know? But, uh, you know, it's you – know, and you never give up. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I talked to a couple of people and posted this. If you look back in the history of the NBA, most games like this are not won by somebody making a shot. They're won by someone tipping in a shot, a missed shot. It happens all the time. Guys forget to block out. Guys forget the game's not over, and they forget to block out. And, yeah. you know, rule number 101, right? The most dangerous player on the inbound is the inbounder. So we all know that. And uh, I think Struess was on him. 
and uh, in instead of staying on him, he made a lunge at uh, Smart, I think, right here. This is a really good play, by the way. He's going to back cut off Tatum, Smart is, and then pick to get Tatum into the post because you only need two. Watch this back pick. And then, uh, oh, I think that's Brown going to the block, and then Tatum's the release. And then Smart came to the basketball really nice. And then look at, oh, I think, was that, uh, who was, that was Duncan that forgot, or Struess. I can't see. I that, think. that was, uh, I think that's true. That was, that was on the inbounder. And if you watch it, he'll make a, when they pass it to Smart, he takes two steps towards Smart. And at the same time, um, uh, the player from the Celtics takes two steps to the baseline. And then, so he, he's got a bad angle to come back and meet him. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I when I saw this, I thought it was good too. I, I thought it was out of his hand. The first reaction, and of course, it, it plays that out. But if you look at that, you know, Struce takes two steps towards uh, Smart and can't get back to um, uh, what's the kid's name? Brown. Uh, uh, White. White. Yeah. So they couldn't get back to them, but he made a great move after he inbounded. He didn't stand there. He made a move kind of to the to the corner to give the ball hand to give Smart some space, and then he beelined right to the rim. And some people are saying, you know what, if, if it doesn't bounce back towards him, they don't win. I disagree because if you watch at the end, Tatum is going for a rebound at the other end of that rim. He's on the other end, yeah. And he could have tipped one in too. So, uh, but that's a classic example about not giving up and hustle, and you know, uh, it didn't break my heart because. Miami Heat messed me out of a ring back when I was with the Dallas Mavericks, and we're up 2-0. So they're heartbreak. I'm not sad about that at all. But, uh, you know, and it, but it also, what a great story of a team not giving up and playing until the very end. Hey, hey, Mo, and we saw the dejection on the Heat's face. And everything I've been hearing now, this is a, a – a, 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 not a lock for Boston tonight, but they are now in complete control. I don't see that, and I don't think you do either. No, no one's in complete control of this series. Uh, the only person Miami was in complete control about ten days ago when they were up three zero or a week ago, and nobody's in control because they both won games at the other place, uh, other teams' place. Um, <clears throat> They both made great plays to win games. You know, is the momentum a little bit with Boston because they've won three in a row? Uh, yeah. Are they going home? That makes a difference. Yeah. But have control of this series? Nobody does. And I'm going to tell you, if one of these teams is up by 12 points going into the fourth quarter, they still don't have control of this series because <laughs> we know that that means nothing in this series. So um, it's going to be up to the coaches and coaches staff and the players uh, to keep themselves focused and on point and to fight through the highs and lows of this game and to, to you know to, to make the plays at the end. But let's face it, I mean, Jimmy Butler made a play to get to the free throw line and then White made a play to win the game. So players make plays, but you got to put them in those positions. And I think both coaches did a good job of doing that. And, and speaking of coaches, and we're going to get into the uh, a lot of news from on the coaching uh, side of the NBA uh, going down the last couple of days. But uh, Joe Mazzulla 
looked like he was going to get run out of Boston. Uh, and he was. With that 3-0 uh, start. Do you think he has uh, saved his job with this getting this game to game seven after going down 0-3? I would say he's done all he can to save his job. He's at the precipice of saving his job. Um, the way they won that game, and if you look at the footage of them in the locker room after the game, and he's talking to the team and saying, you know, great job, but we got our jobs not finished. We got to stay focused. We have to stay desperate. And if you look, Tatum and the players are all huddled around him. Tatum is hugging him as his arms around his shoulder. And that means something in today's game for sure. And uh, if, if anything, that's uh, uh, a bonus for, for Joe to keep his job, that his players believe in him. And I'm telling you, man, I've been in that situation, not at that level, but other levels. He drew up a, a great play. And they've probably run it before. He had Brown going to the block as the first option. Then he had Tatum coming up high for the second option, which with three seconds left, you can catch and take two dribbles and still shoot it. So if Tatum even catches a half court, he can still get a, a nice shot off. And then you had Smart coming as a pressure release that ended up being the shot you had. So, you know, that to me is saying that that, you know, he's inexperienced. He hasn't been in that position before. But uh, he knows how to put his players in the right spots. And then after that win, uh, you know, just think, you know, that locker room versus if they would have lost, I guarantee you if he would have lost, he's getting a call, you know, when he gets off the plane that, uh, you know, we need to have a meeting on Tuesday, take Monday off, and we'll come in on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, Paul, you know what I, I – you know, I enjoy doing the show with you because you have so much experience – You've been there as a player and a coach. Because, you know, I listen to some of my sports writer brethren and some of the pundits. All of a sudden, Boston doesn't, you know, those when they went down 0-3, you know, they don't care. They don't, the coach doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, winning these games are hard, and they can, they can get away from it easy. This is the national – Basketball Association. And I think for all we know as sports writers and pundits and fans, unless you've been in that arena, been in that environment, you, you just don't – you just can't get all of it. Talking to you is as close as I'm going to get to actually having that experience. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and you can do everything right and still the, the outcome is not in your favor. I mean, you know, when you, when, you know, if you watch the, the Miami um, and Spolster after the game, you know, he, he, he looked upset but not distraught because he could say, hey, he said, we did everything right. We, you know, we made a lot of great plays. They just wanted more and more play. Just think years ago, uh, Philly is playing in Toronto and uh, Kawhi gets a corner shot off at the last second that bounces like 20 times on the yeah. and goes in and they go on to win a championship. If that doesn't go in, Philly's going to the finals and Philly maybe win a championship. It's all, you know, the basketball gods are, are, you know, can be brutal and they can be, you know, wonderful. Uh, but your job as a, a coach is to have your team ready to play, 
be prepared for all situations and put them in a place that they can be successful. And if you do that, then what's going to happen is going to happen. And, uh, you know, you have to be able to make adjustments, whether it's substitutions, whether it's plays, um, you know, whether it's, you know, letting them, letting them run it out, saving two timeouts for the end of a game is huge. You know, he could have waited, he could have burned a timeout earlier in the quarter, yeah. but he kept it and that let him challenge. So he'd get another couple of clicks on the clock and they could win. All those things have to happen. And, you know, uh, and for, for something little like, you know, Jimmy Butler misses one or two of those free throws and the whole, it's all different. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, and I think people overreact to um, uh, outcomes, which is, of course, you're there to win or lose and you get fired by wins or losses. That's a fact. But if you're a coach and you're worried about that all the time, you're going to fail because you need to focus on your job and have your players ready and be in a mental state of mind. You have to cover all the bases, you know. So uh, I was telling somebody the other day, you know, uh, I used to have an index card when I coached in my uh, suit and it, and it had um, uh, for my three or four leading scores, it had plays that they liked. I would during the season, I would ask them, hey, Ricky, what you know, you're our, you're my score from the wing. What plays do you like that we have? Give me two of them, you know, and then I'd put I'd have those and I'd have them for four or five of my players. I'd have a scenario free throw team I want in there. A, let, a get it in team I want in there. Uh, we're down by 10 team I have. I have them all on my card so I could just go to it. And we've already practiced that in practice. Because if you're waiting, you know, and I, I would have had, I don't know, man. I could, I'm telling you, I could drop a play for the Celtics right now that would kill the Miami Heat zone in a second. <laughs> I already know it. I could draw it up for you right now. It's called, uh, it's called uh, Horns Baseline. Baseline runner overload. It's, it works every time. So, you know, hopefully they worked on something like that. We'll see tonight. But, you know, it's your that's your job as a coach. And wins and losses, I mean, coaching is heartbreaking, man. I've been I've been in the locker room and hugging and I've been in the locker room crying where, you know, and I've been in the locker room where oh, I know I'm, I know I'm not here next next week. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've been fired after a game before. We, we want to welcome our viewers in, uh, uh, our oh, good buddy Chris Ramsey. Uh, Celtics should win this series. Celtics defense has jumped ready for the finals. I just don't see the Heat winning uh, the series now. Crazy NBA playoffs reminds me of the Seattle-Phoenix series in 93 when uh, when Phoenix uh, came back. I'm going to have to look that one up, uh, Chris. I, I don't yeah, I don't remember that one either. Um, that, that I guess uh, I think that was Jack Sigma. I think. Yeah, I, I'll get some. Yeah, I'll get but, some insight on that. But uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in for sure. And of course, I forgot to say this at the beginning. Uh, you can uh, get this show and all our shows at uh, uh, believe dot com b l e a v dot com. Uh, are your favorite podcast uh, site? We are there. Uh, yeah, and now, yeah, Paul. That's why I wanted to bring that up for you, man. These guys are—they are going at it out there. It's emotional. It's uh, 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 taxing. Uh, and meanwhile, Denver's just sitting back, saying, "Hey, 
But you you said, yeah, they're getting rest, but you don't want to get too much rest before going into this finals. I mean, at this point, and almost any point, but especially at this point, if you you cannot simulate game situations or game speed in practice. So all all that Denver's been doing for nine days is practicing against themselves. They took a few days off, and you know, so you know they they. You know, being rested and being healthy is important, but being rusty is also a concern. And I don't—I think they don't play till Thursday, right? Play Thursday. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know—is that nine, twelve, eleven days? I mean, that's a lot. And uh, you know, you got to stay mentally sharp. You know, you know they swept uh, Lakers out of the series, which is nice, uh, and they were on a momentum high. But now, you know, they've been at home. You know, trying. You know, they don't even know who they're going to play, so they haven't been. They haven't been really preparing for the finals yet. They've been just preparing themselves to play how they want to play. And I was going to ask you, Mo. How how has uh, with with they have looked at tape? I'm sure they got tape of both these things. They play them during the regular season, but how are they addressing that? And how much time do uh, has Boston and Miami put into looking at Denver. Well, that's that's what I did. So, like my Miami and Boston, no coaches and no players are looking at any footage of Denver. None, zero. Uh, the the uh, advanced scouts, like I was, are putting together a scouting report, and I and I'll have a designated video guy with me, and we'll break down. Everything um, that uh, Denver does, we'll have all their plays, we'll have their players' uh, tendencies, all on video, all on scouting reports, all ready to go. So when the time is right, that's when we spring it on you, which which will be uh, for, Den- for for both teams, it'll probably be on the airplane going to uh, Denver. So for Miami or Boston, if they're playing Thursday, Boston would stay home and probably go Wednesday. But what I hear is Miami would just leave from Boston and go. Uh, but but um, uh, I go, go in my file cabinet I have. But you know, if you look at a notebook that's about this thick, that's about what a, a playoff scouting report is. And so uh, um, that's where um, Boston and uh, Miami are, you know, with their – I think I, I don't know if I misspoke, but Boston, Miami, none of their coaches, none of their players right. have watched Denver. None. Except one advanced scout, maybe one assistant coach, and a video guy. And they're putting that whole package together, right? Because they got to win that series. Now, right. Denver is at the other end. So I would think Denver had uh, two advanced scouts. One worked on Miami and one worked on Boston. And they put both, both of them put their own scout reports together for those two teams. So whichever team wins uh, and they're playing, then they take that that video, that scouting report, that information, and that's what they go to. And it's very complicated. I mean, you could, they'll have uh, uh, footage and stats on, let's say uh, Tatum. Tatum goes right 70% of the time, uh, left uh, 30% of the time. When he goes right, 50%, 50% of the time he goes right, he pulls up. Uh, 50% uh, of the time he goes left, he, he goes to the basket. 
Uh, 30% of the time, when he dribbles two times to the right, he passes. When he dribbles three, wow. he goes up. They'll have all that down. And they'll have what areas he does what in. And, uh, uh, you know, players, some players really dive into that. And some don't uh, and just want to play from, because they've all played each other. They know each other. But that will be how detailed that those reports will be. Is that now that has come on when you played it wasn't that detail was it no no not at all but when i when i scouted with dallas it was and you know so like um like that last play that the celtics ran uh denver will have that on on video and will have that written up as one of their final plays and throughout the year they've run probably 10 or 50 they'll have all of them you know they like when I scouted for Dallas and when I was scouting, uh, we played Memphis in the first round. Uh, uh, I was scouting. Um, uh, who was Zubo? It? What's that? The big center. Yeah, but I, but when we were playing Memphis, I was scouting Portland and uh, some oh, other okay. the next yes. round. And then when we played them, I was scouting the Clippers and the Sun. The advanced, that's literally advanced scout. Yeah, I went to every one of their games. I watched every one of the games. We videoed it. I wrote out my report. I broke down film of every game. Like when I was when when we were playing Memphis in the first round, I went to the last five games in the regular season that Memphis played. I was there. I broke down film. I wrote down last second place substitution patterns, uh, tendencies, all that. I mean, you'll have a book of, you know. If I was Boston or Miami, I'd have a book of all of Denver's plays and how, you know, 15 is a pick and roll with Jamal and uh, the Joker. 27 is whatever, whatever. I'd have all those plays and all those diagrams. So most of the, and when you get a seven game play, uh, series, if you watch behind the bench, most of those scouts and or coaches are yelling out the plays as they happen. Hey, hey, going back to, to the game tonight, how does Miami went go in there and win this game tonight, Mo? Score more points. <laughs> I think. I I think. Um, and it's difficult because, in my opinion, uh, Butler is running out of gas. His legs are catch. It's catching up to him, much like. Uh, LeBron ran out of gas in game four and his legs were gone. Not to that extent because Butler's younger, right? So, uh, but, you know, he last game Butler had 24 points and 11 rebounds, but he struggled a lot of the game, right? So, you know, you would like to say, okay, we need Butler to score 40 points like he did against the Bucks or whatever, but I don't know if he's capable of that. And when you rely on, uh, I think it's Caleb Martin, who is like a secondary guy for them, scoring 21 and getting 15 rebounds and uh bam Adebato, you know scores 11 and 50. he has to step up his game and then someone else uh duncan someone has to step up and get a 20 point game um to keep you know to keep them in the mix but you got to tighten up your rebounding you got to not turn the ball over as much and uh you know if i'm a coach i'm looking at footage of the first three games what do we do then that we're not doing now that we should do more of tonight? It might be something little. It, it might be, you know what? 
we should we should stick we should go over the top of pick and rolls, not switch them. We should uh, uh, not not actually. Uh, it's at the top of my head, right? I remember the first three games. They were running double teams at Tatum a lot and getting the ball out of his hand, right? Maybe we should revisit that. Let's try it in the first quarter and see if it works. Then we keep it in our back pocket for the fourth quarter. And then we start throwing traps at Tatum again, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, there's not much, you could, you know, you know, we all got to play. We already contribute. And it's always, I mean, listen to the mics in the huddle. Okay. We're right there, guys. We've got to stop turning the ball over. You know, we got yeah, yeah. to get the, get the loose balls. We got to get all the 50 fifties and we got to put a body on people and we got to own the boards and we got to push it in our tempo. Just record that and play it in the huddle. Come on. You know what, Paul, that, when they started letting us go inside the huddle, that really surprised because I thought it would be some more sophisticated stuff. But all that stuff is taking place. We're just playing the game now. Yeah, but there should be. I mean, I, even if it's some, I always, I always, I always draw, drew up a twist in one of our plays or some other option we had, you know, or some little tricky thing. Let's try this. You know, there needs to be more strategy in the huddle than, you know, let's just go out and do the same basic stuff all the time. Yeah. Hey, you know a guy I think could play a big role for them tonight, and he he gave him a little spark in the second half last uh, in game six is uh, is Lowry. Yeah, I mean, but Lowry's older too, right? Right. You know, and he can only give so much. You know, defensively, he can help. He takes charges. Um, you know, he one like last game, he made some triple pivot play in the post that he made a shot, but that he can't really do that anymore. But he, we need a little more from him, a little more from Duncan, a little more from this guy. You know, it all adds up. Yeah, and, and now looking at Boston, uh, you know, like I said, they won that game the other night, but they are really a perplexing team, Mo. They can look fantastic, and then they'll go seven, eight minutes and look like the Keystone Cops. And like I said, it was against that, that little zone, and you're right, though. And and you know what? I think they know it too. They get complacent, right? They get a they get a ten they get a ten point lead or eleven. Okay, we're there. No, you're not. You know, you know, in the old days, you know, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic, those guys. You know, we got them down by 10. We need to get them down by 20 now. Let's go. You know, I don't yeah. know if they have that in them. Yeah. Uh, our good buddy Skip Eddie checks up, in. Skip? It's all about hustling hard at the end. You know, I think both teams are playing hard. At, you know, that, that's why I think some of the criticism, you know, the teams were getting early on Boston, and now it, it's not after. You either play well or you, you don't play well. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and it is about hustling hard. That's why I just said in my speech, right? Get the 50-50 balls. You know, that's important. And that's, you know, I mean, look at the last play, Skip. I mean, shoot, that was a hustle play. But at the same time, uh, you have to be able to do that and not do stupid stuff, you know, like Strauss did. My bad. Yeah, my bad. I went uh, too much towards Tatum or Bart or Smart. My bad. Yeah, you lost the game. Because you still have to stay focused. And that's the hardest thing, especially in a game seven, is energy, effort, 
uh, adrenaline's like off the charts. And now you've got to be able to think and execute. And that's what's going to win the game. The team that thinks and executes at the end, if this comes down to what I think it's going to come down, like last game, the team that executes and uh, focuses at the end is the team that's going to make the play. And uh, last game, it was the Celtics. You're watching uh, We Got Next. I'm Ricky Hampton, along with former Milwaukee Bucks center Paul Mokeski. Uh Any questions or comments, shoot them to us. I'll get them to Big Mo. He is the man to uh, answer them. Uh, Mo, I, I want to get into some of these uh, coaching situations. There, There's big news uh, out of Philly that uh, Nick Nurse is going to be headed to the city of brotherly love, the former Toronto Raptors coach. Uh, your thoughts on that hiring in Philadelphia? Well, in my opinion, we talked about the decision between Daryl Morey and uh, James Harden, uh, whether to bring James Harden back uh, or um, uh, to, to shake it up. And we know James Harden is connected to Daryl Morey from the Rock Houston Rockets days. For those of you out there don't remember, Daryl Morey was uh, the GM in, in Houston uh, uh, with all the analytics and everything and loved James Harden and then came on to Philly, uh, you know, and we thought if they keep, um, if they keep uh, Harden, then Mike D'Antoni's probably the coach. Well, this isn't that far off because Nick Nurse was the uh, head coach of the RGV Vipers which is the G League affiliate of the Houston Rockets when Daryl Morey was the general manager of the Houston Rockets. So they have a connection that goes back a long time. Daryl Morey hired uh, Nick Nurse to coach the G League RGV Vipers, who won a championship that year, by the way. And that was before he went off to Toronto. So there's a connection there. So in my opinion, this even solidifies that James Harden will be coming back to Philly and that they'll probably try to build another team around them and hope that Nick Nurse can maybe uh, get more out of, maybe it's a new voice or get more out of Embiid and Harden and Maxie. I mean, they have a good lineup, um, you know, to maybe get them over the hump. What, what is it you think, and, and, and before I get to that, Chris Williams win, watching <laughs> who got next. <laughs> he's, he's, in my, he's in my backyard. Chris, get out of my backyard. <laughs> hey, 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 Paul! What what is that that next thing Philly needs? Uh, I think they need they need an identity. They need a you know a little more guidance. I mean, uh, you know they have talent, right? And uh, you know, but talent only gets you so far in the NBA. And you know, I mean, all these teams are talented. I mean. And it's just an uphill battle, but the season is a long season. You're talking about eight months plus weeks of training camp, plus then you got one or two months of the postseason, you know, so you really got to have everybody on the same page, everybody agreeing with what you're doing. Um, you know, maybe it's not even a personnel thing. Maybe it's just a, a identity directional thing. Um, you know, maybe you have to shake it up. Let's, let's, Let's do some, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not into it that deep, but if I was Philadelphia and I was Nick Nurse or I was in that spot, what I would do was I would look at the Denver Nuggets and I would see what are they doing with the Joker in their offense? Because we can do the same thing with Embiid. 
And they have Jamal Murray. We got uh, James Harden. We got Maxi. We got guys like that. Now we got guys just like they got guys. Maybe they're doing something with their offense that we could implement that can help us get over the hump. Maybe something but, like that. But Mo, uh, Embiid is not the passer uh, uh, the Joker is. He's a good passer, though. I mean, he's not as good as Joker, but he plays off the elbow. He plays off the three-quarter post. He passes out of double teams really good. So maybe he hasn't been uh, instructed to allow to pass uh, out where the Joker is. Joker's a real good passer. You have to have kind of a feel for the game, confidence in your passes. But Embiid is, you know, capable of that, I believe. But I would definitely want to check it out because, let's face it, Joker's a good passer, but that's not how he kills people. He kills people by scoring and getting rebounds, you know, and by passing. But I think, you know, that's that's me. You know, I mean, we, we're, we're one of the only teams that has a player close to the Joker, right? That size, that skill level, you know. Yeah. It's worth yeah, a look. I, I, yeah, I see where you're coming from uh, there. Uh, speaking I mean, of, speaking of, now go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. Here's what, here's what you can't do is you can't keep banging on the door with the same players and the same philosophy over and over and not getting success and doing it again and think it's going to be successful. I, I don't believe that at all. You got, I don't think you have to tear everything down and start over, but at the same time, you can't do the same thing over and over again and not get to the finals. That doesn't make sense to me. So we need to change something. We're either going to start over or we're going to just tweak some stuff. Maybe a little personnel, maybe, maybe the way we play and then tweak it. And then maybe we get past that, that wall. Uh, Chris checks in. Probably as hard as they leave, and even if he stays, I think both the Bucks and Celtics are just better teams when healthy moving forward in the East. I mean, that's – yeah. Chris, I mean, Chris I mean, could have a good point there. Yeah, I mean, Chris, I agree, but, but the Celtics are at home. I mean, not the Celtics, the Bucks are at home. You know, they got, they got beat in the first round. So sometimes talent – doesn't get you where you need to get. You can't, I mean, Philly has the third best talent in the, in the East, I would think. And the first best, first or second, the Bucks were out in the first round and Boston was almost out this round. So, you know, in the NBA, you know, Philly has personnel. Uh, they have players committed. Harden to me uh, is a piece that I would probably replace his salary and his talent and his talent level with a couple other younger players. That's me. And I would let Maxi take that over that role. And now you become um, uh, Robin to Embiid's Batman. Uh, and then let's get a couple really high level players in here. But at this point, with the hiring of Nick Nurse and the reputation with Daryl Morey, I think that's a, pre a prerequisite that Harden they will sign Harden to an extension, and uh, he'll go get his money. Plus he plus. He, plus, he knows the uh, strip clubs really well in Philly. So, <laughs> Steve, Steve says, Steve Schroeder says, I'm late, guys. Not really, not really, Steve. We're early tonight, Steve. So, you don't get a fine this week. <laughs> we appreciate you tuning in, buddy. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Chris, Paul, I've got a question. Uh, Chris Ramsey, Paul, I've got a question on coaches in, in the NBA that play uh, 
the same every game. Why not change on who you're playing every game uh, every time you play instead of being exposed? Uh, how do you play a confused coaching and players? I'm not sure. I, I, I think he's talking about he. I think I think what you're saying, Chris. Guys are just kind of formulated in how they're coaching, like he was saying during the timeout, where they just, you know, they're not tweaking things, or, or trying different things. Yeah, I, you know, so when you play eighty-two games and you're playing everybody over and over, pretty much everybody knows everybody. Um, you know, but you really, there's a combination you have to have. You have to have your system, the way you want to play with your personnel that do that. But you also have to adapt to who you're playing and how you're going to play them uh, at some point, mostly on defense, by the way. Uh, you know, do we want to trap? Do we want to not trap? Do I, if we trap, how do we rotate? All that stuff comes into play. But, uh, you know, so I, I think, in my opinion, I agree with you if I understand you right, is there's, yeah. not enough, there's a, not enough coaches in the NBA that think outside the box, just like there's not enough GMs or owners or front office personnel. And that's why you see the coaching carousel you have where all the head coaches just move jobs and move around and nobody thinks outside the box because they're all trying to keep their job and do the safe thing whatever thing, whatever people think is the safe thing. And I think that has to do with coaching too, especially in a game. Now, in a game, you can't change in a huddle at a point in a game. You can't change up a lot of stuff. You can tweak some stuff. Uh, but I do get annoyed at, okay, guys, we got to play a little harder, get 50-50 balls, block out, <laughs> and then we got to – it's the same stuff. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, uh, Steve Schroeder, when, when do players stop listening to coaches and head coach? Coaches. Well, I think um, – and we've talked about this. Before. And that happens for sure. Absolutely. It happens sometimes during the season, sometimes during the game. When players stop thinking their coach knows what he's doing, he or she, and they lose uh, uh, trust in what they're doing. Or, let's be truthful, players start listening to their agent or their person or their group or whatever, and then you should be, you know, whatever. So it's a combination of things. And, uh, you know what really does it? I'll tell you the bottom line then. Winning fixes everything. So if you win as a coach, they will do, they will not tune you out and they will listen to you, whatever you say, because you're winning. But the problem is in the NBA, it's really, really hard to win. Yeah. Hey, uh, we were talking about Nick Nurse earlier, uh, a former uh, Raptors assistant coach, and uh, recently – uh, Milwaukee Bucks assistant coach, and one of your former players, Adrian Griffin, has been hired uh, uh, to take on the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Your thoughts yeah, Adrian. on Adrian going to uh, take on a championship caliber team? Yeah, Adrian. And, and, and Mo, that's kind of surprising. I, I thought they would go with a so-called veteran guy, experienced guy. Well, Were you surprised by this? No, no. Um, you know, when they hired Budenhauser, he was assistant to uh, Popovich, right? Yeah. As someone they trusted, someone's been around a while, someone's had uh, on a successful uh, team. Guess what? That's Adrian Griffin. Adrian Griffin was on the Milwaukee Bucks assistant staff for, 
for a long time and they were successful. Then he went to Toronto and they won a championship, by the way. And and uh, he he played for me in the CBA. Very smart player, very cerebral, great guy, great communicator. He was actually he started his coaching career with the Dallas Mavericks when I was a, a assistant coach there. So we've been on the same staff before. And uh, he's been coaching, assistant coach for uh, 10, 15 years now. And uh, he's a perfect fit. But what sent him over the edge was like most teams now, when they interview coaches and they get down to the final two or three, they bring those coaches in and their best one or two players. So that was Giannis. And Giannis was in the meeting and he met Nick Nurse and he met Adrian and uh, one other coach. And uh, he knows Adrian, trusts Adrian, uh, had worked with, he was younger as a player with Adrian. And uh, that was, that sold the deal, I believe. And I, I think it's a good fit. And, uh, you know, uh, he's going to move things around, change it a little bit, but not drastically. Because let's face it, they've been one of the best teams for the last three or four years. And, you know, now, you know, they got to get some players healthy. They got to get Middleton on board to come back. Uh, some things there, and then hopefully they'll be back in the in the running next year faster than ever. Hey, Mo, that's a little feather in your cap from the big Mo tree. That's right, uh, Adrian Griffin. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, speaking of the Bucks, I think we meant to ask you about this. Paul, do the Bucks invite you back for golf outings, etc.? Do they have homecomings, uh, weekends for uh, former players and teams? No, I haven't been back in a long time. I went back, I think, for the 35th anniversary, I think. I went back. That's been a long time ago. But, you know, I, I'm really back. I'm here in Las Vegas. Love it here. And, frankly, uh, in my career, Steve, the, as much airtime as I put in airplanes and, and airports, uh, I try to stay away from that as much as possible. Now, if they have a golf tournament in Las Vegas, <laughs> I'll plan it. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. <clears throat> well, we're we're heading down the home stretch. We we have a little controversy uh, going on in. Well, let's before we move on from coaching, let's talk about um, the job still open. Detroit young team, uh, Suns veteran team, Toronto a questionable team. You know those jobs are still open, and you know Adrian Dr Drift Griffin got the got a job. But you look at who's out there now, Doc Rivers, Frank Vogel, Steve Silas, remember him, Monty Williams, Budenhauser. I mean, those are some names, coaching names that haven't been in the coaching carousel for a long time. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what these teams think the best coach is to, to get their teams to the next level, whether it's Detroit to the playoffs uh, it's the Suns to make a next step in the playoffs or Toronto back to where they were a few years back. And, hey, how about Monty Williams saying he's going to take a year off? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, you know, thank you. I mean, was he get 20 million or whatever over yeah. the next three years? 21 million, yeah. Thank you. I'll, I'll see you next year, maybe. <laughs> maybe not. But what, you know, Monty Williams has been through a lot. I mean, it, his, his wife and child were killed in a car accident and, uh, years ago, and he's been there. Why not relax a little bit, enjoy that money, and not be through the stress anymore? Hey, great question from uh, Chris. Do you think Becky Hammond gets any of those gigs? 
Um, I think her name, Chris, I know she won a championship last year. She's under the Popovich tree. Um, now with, uh, with Spurs getting the first pick and getting the 7-4, one uh, one from France, I think Popovich stays around longer. Uh, but I think she is a, a, uh, that would be her spot. But now that's put off for a couple more years. Um, quite frankly, quite frankly, uh, head coaching windows in the NBA open and close fast. And, uh, you know, I think hers might be closing. Um, you know, there's been other names, you know, out there like hers that, you know, uh, that have been come and gone and not got that opportunity. I think there will be a woman's head coach in the NBA someday, but, I don't know. I know she was the anointed one, but I don't know anymore because of that Popovich situation in San Antonio, that draft pick. Boy, I, I, another good question from Chris here, man. Thanks for all the uh, great uh, questions tonight, guys. Chances for Nate McMillan coming back. And, man, if if I were the Pistons, I'd be a guy I would look at. Yeah, I mean, Nate's old school, but he also younger players like and, re, and relate to him, you know, because he did play. Well, not all younger players. Yeah, <laughs> one, one, <laughs> the important one, you know. But I think you know, uh, giving him another chance is you know is a is a no brainer to me. But with all those names out there, though, I mean, I don't know if you can put Nate McMillan over, you know, Doc Rivers and Monty Williams and Budenhauser. Frank Vogel, all won championships, um, you know, but, you know, that's another good name that's been out there. I mean, here's the thing that I, I believe will happen, too. Uh, Adrian Griffin just got the head job in Milwaukee. So what happens when a guy gets a head job is the coaching staff changes. So I don't, I think, uh, I think uh, Adrian knows a lot of those coaches. He's worked with them. So it won't be as dramatic as it usually is. But some of those coaches, assistant coaches, are going to lose their jobs. And if I'm Adrian Griffin and I have a relationship with Frank Vogel or Doc Rivers or Steven Silas or Monty Williams, maybe not, uh, I'm going to reach out to them. Nate McMillan, you want to come and be my first assistant? Help me through this process for a couple of years? Yeah. Yeah. That that, that would be interesting. Uh, oh, how about this one? Uh I heard through the grapevine that you don't want to get on the golf course with Ricky. He's a golf shark. That's all I'm saying. No, I'm not. Skip. Way to taunt me, Skip. <laughs> I, did, I did get my golf clubs out a little bit. I might go to the range this week. Yeah, we were just talking watch about your, Watch your back, Skippy. <laughs> uh, uh, does Harden want to go back to the Rockets? <laughs> he does know the strip clubs there, too, though, Steve. <laughs> I mean, I, why would the Rockets want him? I don't know. But I don't, like they do. Exactly. I mean, if you I mean, we all know Harden's skills are deteriorating a little bit. We all know he loves his, his strip clubs and stuff, and he wants two hundred, two hundred fifty million. Really? I mean, I, I don't know why. I don't know why I would make that move. I mean, does he put does he put the Rockets in the playoffs even? Let alone a playoff run? No. Right. I, I right. don't know, but but you know what, Steve? I've seen stranger things happen. Hey, Mo, we're at that with an hour, man. This time has uh, just flown by. And uh, to our viewers out there, we really love and appreciate you guys uh, for checking in with us uh, every week. 
Really appreciate your questions. What should we, uh, as we get ready to tune into this game tonight, Mo? What what are you going to be looking for? I'm going to look at. I'm going to look for runs. I'm going to look for um, really on the Celtic side. What uh, role players step up and have big games at home? And then I'm going to I'm going to look at foul trouble. And you know what? The number one thing I'm going to look at. Uh, turnovers. Who yeah. turns the ball over? I think I think last game uh, Boston turned it over like nine times and Miami sixteen. Um, you know, nine is a great number. If you can keep your turnovers under ten and cause the other team and the other, and I want to see the intensity of the Boston Celtics, especially on defense. You watch Game Six, how they play defense with. Uh, Back to the wall, all that stuff, but they were intense. They need to duplicate that at home, and we'll see what yeah. happens. Because because that length really barred the Butler, I thought, uh, uh, the other night. Made him take some uh, tough shots. But, Mo, we, before we get out of here, we've got to mention this thing with uh, oh, yeah. the uh, investigation into uh, NBA referee uh, Eric Lewis and – and I just want you to speak to really the integrity of the uh, uh, NBA officials who you have fought with. And <laughs> I mean, you probably had a love-hate relationship with them throughout your uh, career. But, but your thoughts on uh, the, the situation with Lewis is that uh, – they're investigating to see if he has a burner Twitter account of all things. Uh, the, the account has been deleted, and they're going to go look at the archives and and all that. But it's, it's just embarrassing for the profession. Well, here's the like like Eric Lewis is a really really good referee. It's been around a long time. He's one of the most well-respected referees. He doesn't have grudges with a lot of players. I think they really like him. Coaches like him. His uh, his Twitter account, supposedly his his burner account name was Blair Cutliffe. <laughs> if you want to look it up, C U T T L I F F Cutliffe. Um, and uh, I looked it up. I saw some stuff on there. His was mostly comments. Uh, he was taking comments from fans about, you know, talking about conspiracy theories and this call was a bad call, that call was a bad call. And he was pretty much defending himself sometimes and other refs sometimes. Uh, I saw one of the things uh, where he, he, someone was complaining about this foul against the Lakers that wasn't called. And then he made a comment like, uh, or, or allegedly made a comment like, well, what about the call? Uh, in this game against the Nuggets, you know, like that, comparing calls and no calls. And for you, those, you know, it wasn't really like nasty stuff or, you know, bad stuff per se, but the rule is in the NBA, if you're if you're an NBA referee, you are not allowed to comment on anything about refereeing in the NBA. And that's for a reason. Uh, you should never have, you should never, Try to defend yourself and or any of your uh, 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 partners, and, and you should never criticize any of your partners and or players and or coaches. 
So that's why that is up there. Well, we have, we can, everybody can say what they want to say. No, you can't. Because you're an NBA referee, you make a hundred to 300,000 a year. You're not allowed to be on social media and say what you want to say. You're just not. And there's a reason for that because that only fuels conspiracy theories and fuels all this, which this situation has done because he ha it has been taken down. And now even more people are wondering, you know, cause we saw, right? A week ago, the script that was found, the script for the playoffs. Remember that? Yeah. 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 Come on, it was the fakest thing you could ever, some high school kid put it together. But what, what, everyone was talking about it. And, 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 and David Finkel's right. You, you, you bring up Tim Donahue. Anytime something goes on with ref, one of the few guys who uh, did get into some, uh, you know, improper uh, uh, activity. But but on a whole, man, they have been essential to the uh, game of basketball and and true professionals. Yeah, and, you can't you can't play without referees, and they make a lot make a lot of mistakes, man. You can see them. I mean, what, I mean, one of the calls the other game in the fourth quarter where uh, uh, I think Horford was just standing there and Butler just ran into him, boom, threw it up and fell down. He got free throws. But, you know, they, they're doing the best they can. It's a tough game to referee. Tim Donahue is the guy that paid the ultimate price, lost his job, went to prison. Um, you know, but and this is why um, the NBA is super sensitive to anything to do with referees and social media and guns. That's why players put your guns down, stop videoing yourself with guns. If it's against the law or not, it doesn't matter. It's it's uh, detrimental to the league. So this is just another thing that, but no, I'm not going to say poor Adam Silver, but Adam Silver has to deal with in the middle of a great playoff series, right? Hey, hey Mo, uh, did, did you have a favorite ref? Sure, I had guys I really liked that maybe, you know, that, I respect it. Um, Dick Pavetta, uh, Jess Kersey, uh, uh, Mike Mathis, uh, Joey Crawford, uh, Steve Joey? Uh, Joey? Yeah, Joey was, he just looked like he was mad all the time. He was, <laughs> he was just doing his job. He didn't like Tim Duncan. <laughs> but, there, but back then it was really different. I mean, you know, coaches, uh, uh, referees and players talked, but they talked more respectful today. And they talked less. We talked less. We didn't, we didn't complain after every call, every call, someone's talking to one of the, all three of the referees, either a player or coach, every call someone's every talking that they, they need to eliminate that. No more. You can't, you can't talk after every play, after every call, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mo, now here's the big question tonight. <laughs> Who wins, Vegas or Dallas? Well, I thought we liked uh, Game 7s, Chris. So, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I don't know. Golden Knights blew. Uh, they got blown out last game here in Vegas. So, uh, and Dallas got their mojo back. And we talked about momentum, right? And uh, Dallas has it and Vegas lost it. So, it's going to be a knockdown drag out, but I like what they said. Uh, we need to get, we need, we got away from what we were doing uh, and just kind of got lackadaisical, which, you know, you got three, three old lead and you got lackadaisical. So, you know, I don't know if they, you know, 
Uh, who did you pick? Because I'm going to pick the opposite. That's who I'm picking, Chris. <laughs> Here's another one uh, from Chris Ransom. Why did Joey Crawford not like Tim Duncan? I have, I have no idea because Tim Duncan is one of the most likable guys ever to play, never said anything. I don't know. I, you know how sometimes, you know, there's just someone there that, you know, just looks at you different and you just can't stand it. Maybe that was it. But, but Mo, you're right. Joey looked like he was mad at everybody when uh when he works games, man. Uh, well, you know, you got there's such thing as a resting bitch face, right? So yeah. you know, I, I told Joey I don't want I said, Joey, we haven't started a game yet. You you look pissed off. <laughs> he goes, No, this is just me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh well uh Skip, thank you, friend. Another good show, gentlemen. Love you guys. We love you guys too. Hey, we're gonna get out of here. Let everybody get ready for the game. Uh we'll be back at our regular time next Monday. Uh well, we got one more. Uh Dave Frankel gonna watch the game. Thanks for the good commentary. Thank you guys. Uh thank you, everybody. Thank you, Chris. Uh, everybody enjoy the game. We'll be back at our regular time uh, next Monday. And don't forget to look out for uh, we got next plus. Yeah, we'll probably do a preview of the series, whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday or something. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll work on that. But until then, for Paul Morkeski, I'm Ricky Hampton. Peace. Enjoy the game, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.